morning when we are uh, recording this anyway. It may not be morning when you are watching, uh, but welcome to another uh, edition of our, our podcast where we discuss uh, the passage, a particular passage that uh, was preached on on, on Sunday morning. Uh, our, our thoughts, our discussions may not be exactly what was preached, uh, but we kind of start from that scripture as the same starting point. Uh, and so we're here again to just to just talk, and uh, we're we're in Philippians today. We uh, we've we've we're continuing in our Go series, and uh, and so we're just gonna we're just gonna chat once again, as we always say. We we kind of hope that this is a, a model for uh, for our congregation to uh, to communicate, to use Scripture as a starting point for discussion, because uh, we truly believe that when we dig into Scripture in this way, uh, we all can gain something valuable from that. So, uh, Mara, why don't you kind of catch us up where we're at in the story and uh, where we're going from here? All right. So, yeah, like you said, this month has been all about go. It's a, the early church kind of taking a look at how um, how Jesus left his disciples with this mission and how it didn't stop there and how it has traveled across the world. And um, we're still just kind of we're also looking at what our piece is in this. That mission was not for a certain time, not for a certain place. It's for all of us. And so any of us that profess Christianity, profess to follow Jesus, we, are, we take on that mission ourselves. And so we've been looking through this month at how God has equipped us for it. And um, I think today we're going to maybe have a couple of tough conversations about what it really looks like to live that out. Um, and it might, might not exactly look like what we expect it to. Awesome. Paul, you want to read the uh, passage for us? Sure. We're in Philippians, and, and Philippians is, um, uh, the, you find the story of Philippians, how this church be, began in Acts. It's kind of an interesting passage. Um, Paul comes there, and there's this, this servant girl that's, um, that's a prophet, and he casts out a demon from her, and it makes her owners mad, and they throw Paul and Silas in prison, and this is the place where Paul and Silas are singing in prison, and the jail doors come open, and, and Paul and Silas um, uh, actually convert the, the, the prison guard, or the prisoner, or the, um, the guard, their guard, and so his family gets saved, and so now Paul's in Rome, he's in prison, this is one of the prison letters, Philippians, and he's writing back to this place where he had this vibrant ministry, and this is, uh, you know, this is one of these beautiful, it's called like the beautiful letter that's, you know, it's just beautiful and all the things that Paul talks about. But chapter four, he's starting to conclude. And Paul's beginning in verse four says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, uh, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. 
it's uh, <clears throat> just as, as we're listening to that and, and, and reading through there, uh, there's a lot of countercultural kind of implications and <clears throat> really just a theme <laughs> of, of counterculture uh, is just kind of oozing out of this, this passage. Uh, do you guys see that? What, what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it seems countercultural. It seems almost, um, and, I, and I hate to say counter human nature because I believe God creates us to, to be content, but there's something that, that drives us away from contentment. You know, I, I see in this Adam and Eve in the garden, they're not content uh, with, with having everything. They want more. <laughs> and, uh, and I see that a lot in our world that people are, just can't find uh, any satisfaction or contentment. Yeah, and I feel like we often look for things or achievements or successes to kind of make that happiness for us. I mean, think about any commercial you ever see is telling you about this void in your life that would only be better if your phone took better pictures or would only be better if your car was newer. Like, and so sitting here and, and trying to look at this and say, well, like, I can be content no matter what. I mean, that takes away basically all the advertising power, right? Because you realize you don't really need those things. It's true. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It would, uh, <laughs> marketing would be quite different if, uh, <laughs> if we really believe that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of, and, and so like when I, when I first see this, my, my natural instinct is to say, this is countercultural for us today. Uh, mm -hmm. and it certainly is, but it's not, I don't think it's just countercultural to 21st century American, uh, Americans or, um, American Christians. It's, it's truly, uh, this isn't this counterculturalness isn't a new thing that's only countercultural right now. Like just the fact that uh, of Paul's situation where he's saying this is countercultural. I mean, he's writing this from prison, right? Is uh, his, his life is not at, at this point is not really rosy, um, and for him to even say rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it rejoice. Um, your gentleness be evident. Don't be anxious about anything. <clears throat> Peace of God, guard your heart. Um, thinking about whatever's true, whatever's noble, being content all while sitting in prison um, is just, is crazy. But uh, Paul, I'm glad that you said that because I almost changed it to saying it's counter, uh, counter human nature. But I think that distinction that you made is is important. That that it's maybe not necessarily counter human nature. It's maybe counter fallen human nature. If that makes sense, because um, I do think that God created us to be content. But um, but, but I think see when, when we talk about this being human nature, I think there's balance in life. And so you know Spencer's graduating, so I've got three out of high school. I should get like a medal. So you know I've got them all out of high school. Uh, that, that early on in, in their life, I, I've always trained them to try to achieve, yeah. right? We're, we're trained like that. That's not bad, is it? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's the, maybe the distinction is we're trained to achieve and succeed and get one step forward at all cost. Right. Um, I think, I don't know. Is that, that yeah, almost like we achieve out of like a self-preservation like i like 
the whole dog eat dog type situation where if I, if I'm not achieving, then I'm going to get run over. Um, because I'll be honest, I, like achiever, if you look at my strengths fighters, that is not like a high thing for me. And so sometimes when I talk to people that are really driven and really, I'm like, whoo, I feel like I need a nap just talking to you. Like, um, but I do, I think that there can be, there can be a drive that pushes you um, to achieve for, for the good of other people. And then there can also be that drive that you're achieving just for your own good, for your own security, to make your own um, legacy. And I think that that's where, yeah, we need to have those kind of conversations where we, we recognize what our motives are. Your identity's wrapped up in your achievement. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, see, I, I'm probably more driven um, th than some people. I, you know, I have, and, and you know, I, I tend to, um, you know, I, I remember Bobby Knight, I was listening to him talk about the, uh, coaching and, and, and Knight would say he remembers his losses more than his victories. <laughs> and I tend to be like that. That's not healthy. That, that's not a good way to be. And so sometimes my identity, I mean, I'll just be vulnerable and open. Sometimes my identity is wrapped up in whether I succeed or I fail. And, 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 I, and I wonder if that's not what Paul's talking about. It's, it's not, hey, I want you just to be content and not, work, not to work hard and not to try and not to care, but, but your identity is not wrapped up in what you achieve. Could, yeah. could that, does that make sense? For sure. Yeah, I think, I think so. I love that, what you said too, Mario, that it's for whose purpose or for whose good am I, am I this driven? Uh, I actually think that that's, maybe kind of evident here uh, in verse um, verse 8, <clears throat> where, where Paul's saying, whatever's true, whatever whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I think maybe when we say think about such things, that, that becomes kind of a passive, like, you know, just a thought flowing through my, my head. Um, but I actually think that <clears throat> there's some of that driven language in there, like, things that are true and things that are noble require us to do right. Like to, uh, to fight for those things and to, to be driven for those things. And then the, the admirable and the excellent, um, like, I, I don't know, am I, maybe I'm reading it too much into that, but I, that kind of sounds like that driven language that like those things that are good, like go for those things. Um, yeah. Is that a stretch maybe? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I was thinking kind of some of those, yeah, those virtues, those really do um, feel like they take a little more effort. Like think about if you're designing a, a business model or something, if you're going to go after things that are true and lovely and admirable and honorable, sometimes that's a harder road than building a business that appeals to kind of our base nature or our entertainments or like those things. So it's like, I feel like sometimes I, I really, really um, applaud people that are able to get a business off the ground that has adhered to like such a positive, virtuous a business model because yeah, I don't, I don't think that's easy. I think that the call to these things, it, it does, it takes drive, it takes effort, it takes an unwillingness to um, compromise those values at times. And um, yeah, yeah I don't, that doesn't seem easy to me. And when you, you look at this passage, um, verse three is dealing with conflict in the church. Um, and so I, I've always felt that the verses that follow are connected at least in part with this ideal of conflict, because I think when you, when you see people that are discontent, when there's not peace in someone's life, there tends to be conflict around them. And, and so when, when we're, we're, when we're focusing on, 
and I think this applies in our relationship with others. So you're dealing with somebody, you're, you're focusing on what's good, uh, that, that helps resolve some conflict. But when you're discontent, usually that discontentment plays itself out in, in your relationships. Um, you, you, you can, if you, if you aren't living this content life where you're at, um, you'll see it with how people are affected around you. Yeah, well, I think there's also a tendency sometimes to even think that maybe our discontentment is is caused by what other people are doing. <laughs> Just to be totally honest, I mean, I feel like there was a couple of years ago where I was that person scrolling on Instagram and I don't know where I came across this advice, but they were like, well, if there's any accounts that when you follow them, like they just, you just don't like the way they make you feel, you feel jealous, you feel just unfollow them. And so like, I, I totally did. I was like, you know what? You're right. There are a few people or a few accounts of these famous people that, man, I just can't help but fall into the comparison trap every time I see their stuff. So I just unfollowed it. But don't you know, then like, it didn't take long before then the accounts that were left on my list were starting to stir that up in me again so it was like i took the worst offenders off but that didn't address that it was it was me it was me choosing to compare myself or my situation with them it was, what they were doing was not wrong but i tried to take the easy way out there and just i was like i'll just unfollow them but that didn't address what was really happening in in my heart now, now that's an interesting just bringing that up how does social media deal how does social media affect our level of contentment? Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I was going <laughs> to kind of ask that same question. Uh, man, it is a bear. <laughs> it's, I, you know, and, and I see it with our, with our teens a lot, um, but it's not just our teens. <laughs> it's, it's us as well. Um, yeah, everything is out there. And the, the beauty of social media is that I can put all the good stuff out there and make it look like I've got everything together. I'm really good at life. <laughs> I'm the best dad in the world on social media. Um, I have the best kids in the world on social media. I do actually have the best kids in the world. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> but, uh, but I can filter what goes on there. Uh, and again, so that leads to someone else's discontentment. I, I, like, I think just like you said, Mar, though, that's not necessarily on me. Um, that, but yeah, man, everything is out there and everything looks beautiful and great. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a significant factor, I think. And, and I think that goes to the dilemma. Uh, and, and we'll probably talk about this uh, a little bit later. We need others. Mm. Uh, that often it's others <laughs> that, that drive us to discontentment. It, it's our, you know, there's that balance. It's in our relationships that we find uh, fullness and health and all those things that are necessary. Uh, but, but it's also in our relationships that we sometimes struggle with discontentment. Yeah. And sometimes those relationships, they're the ones that you think, oh, that person just does everything so perfectly. Look at their Instagram role. Like, but then you actually have a conversation with that person and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. I use Instagram as my highlight reel. I didn't show you all the other pictures. And, and so it's like, I think we sometimes, yeah, build up this... Um, picture of people based on what they decide to share to the masses, but knowing that like, if you're having a conversation with them, they might be a lot more willing to talk one-on-one -on -one with you. Like I didn't share a picture yesterday from Finley's birthday of her crying as I told her to put her shoes away. Like that was not a highlight of the day, <laughs> but like that was part of our day. So she did not, her birthday was not butterflies and rainbows all day, 
all day long. But if you looked at the pictures, I mean, maybe it looks like it. Now that would be fun. A reality, a real social media source that we're going to oh, show the good and the bad. That that would be kind of, that would be more entertaining to me than some of the, you know, some of the good meals that I see people. Uh, when, the, when the smoker didn't work as well, I'd like to see those pictures too. Yeah. That's true. Some barbecue fails. Social media fails, yeah. Yeah, well, create it. There is a worship fails uh, Instagram I, and Facebook thing out there. So if anybody wants to go get <laughs> laughs at the expense of worship teams and churches everywhere, <laughs> worship fails. They're not sponsoring us, by the way. Oh, um, see, my fear is the more I laugh at that, the more likely I am to end up somewhere like that. <laughs> so you're up front long enough. You always have <laughs> fails. Trust me. Yep, for sure. For life. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's maybe maybe transition more into that kind of the talking about community, the role that community plays <clears throat> maybe in discontentment, um, but also the, the role that community can play in, uh, in, in maybe achieving what Paul is uh, encouraging here. Mara, you had some, some pretty good thoughts, I think, uh, on, on community just in our notes here. Uh, you want to maybe kick off this section? Yeah, yeah. I think when I was reading through this, what really stuck out to me was this idea about not being anxious about anything, um, but like presenting those requests to God. I mean, I feel like he's describing like this idea of, of prayer and talking about how God's peace will then guard our hearts and our minds. And I think it's so interesting when um, both of those phrases are used in the Bible. I mean, a lot of times they're talking about our hearts because that's where they would talk about like the center of our feelings, but then our minds would be the center of our, our thoughts. And so how those two kind of come together and oftentimes our hearts and our minds, um, our feelings and our thoughts, they can get away from us. And oftentimes when we start to struggle with those anxious thoughts, and I want to say like having anxious thoughts, is not the same as having anxiety. I know sometimes for people that's hard because they think that if they're, if they're worried about anything, that all of a sudden that they're doing something wrong or that something is um, not right. And, and their anxiety is a real thing. So I want to make sure we, we separate those two. But when we have those thoughts, Oftentimes, I feel like I've noticed in my life or in my friends, they've, they've pushed you to isolation. You're either embarrassed to admit that you're worried about something, or you think you're the only person who's ever felt that way. And so your thoughts just kind of spiral inward that other people wouldn't understand. Nobody might care. Um, it's silly to be worried about these things. And the more you listen to that, the more, the easier it becomes to just, to suffer in silence, suffer in isolation. Right. When I feel like it's like, well, when we bring these, we, these requests to God, these thoughts, we enter in that conversation with the Holy Spirit, we're allowing another voice to speak into those thoughts. And I like thinking about two or three gathered together, like praying together, we're allowing the Holy Spirit even speaking through our friends and our community to, um, to speak truth into our lives and into those thoughts. So I think it's, there's a caveat there because we talk about community maybe causing some discontentment or we perceive it as that way, but also that community is maybe our best source for, um, for dealing with those times when anxiety comparison, um, those things are starting to, to spiral inward for us. It's good. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, you know, and I think particularly now, um, you know, community is so, um, we're so scattered right now. We're so, we're so divided. Uh, we're so, um, isolated. You know, if, if, if your family's around, it's, it's a little easier, but I, you know, I can't imagine some that, that may be lonely or alone uh, during this time. Um, it's difficult, um, to, to find, 
uh, wellness, defined mental wellness. And, you know, we need each other. You know, we, we, we do tend, I tend to, if, if I have something that's going wrong, my instant um, is, is to kind of pull back. And, and, and I think there is an invitation in here um, to look at others, to listen to others, to learn from others, to lean into others, not only lean into God, but to lean into others. And, and um, I don't know, what do you think, Josh? I'm wondering, like, what's the, what does this practically look like? Um, because I think the community aspect is significant to our well-being and, uh, and being able to share our cares, our worries, our anxieties, um, not only with God as Paul encourages us to, to do here and making our petitions known, but also kind of making them known in community. I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering here is like, how do we practically get to a place where we uh, can be a part of community where we are able to express um, our, our thoughts, our worries, our joys, our, our anxieties, our fears, uh, that kind of thing, while also getting to the point where we can be in that community and be able to be content. So that's to say to be, you know, so close with, with these people who may be at a different point than you in whatever area, um, how do we get to that point where we can, we can be content, where we can say, these are my, this is my community and they may have more money than me and they may have a newer minivan than me. Um, minivan, we don't really care about cars anymore when we come parent riders <laughs> and minivans. Uh, they have a better DVD player in their minivan. <laughs> I, I guess it's practically better we, VCR. <laughs> better VCR. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> An eight track player. In there. Uh, yeah. Um, how do we get to a point practically? Like, I don't know. I, I'm, I guess I'm just looking for practical takeaways it, here. Like, how do we get to that point? It starts with the community. The community has got to be non judgmental. That, mm -hmm. that it's got to be a safe place. I, I mean, and so. And so the, the trust to bring this stuff to people, uh, you know, it, it falls on the more mature and faith. Yeah. And so we're, we're assuming that the community of faith is a mature place, a judgment-free zone where people can bring concern, where they can be honest and vulnerable and won't be torn down. And so to me, that's where it begins. It begins with um, eliminating snide remarks, uh, eliminating... Uh, put downs, uh, even in the name of the Lord. <laughs> you know, we, we, we can slam people with the scripture if we want to. And so, oh, you know, so somebody comes, hey, I'm worrying about this. Oh, you know, the Bible says, you know, not to worry. Well, you know, you need to let people have space to kind of bring who they are really to you before you start correcting them. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it really, I, I like that you mentioned it's point of maybe starting with with maturity because yeah I do think there's a bit of a of a responsibility placed on on people to to pursue others in that and you see someone that you say oh how are you today and they're like oh fine well our social contract has taught us all that if someone says how are you you say you're fine but like there's plenty of times when you can tell that was the first thing that came out of their mind because they have been trained to say that but that is not what's really happening right now. And I think sometimes it takes people looking and saying, 
are you, are you sure? Or, Hey, can I, or, or just even furthering a conversation. I read somewhere that it takes three questions for someone to feel like you're invested in a conversation. So sometimes I'm like, okay, that means that we commit to, if I'm going to stop and talk to this person, I'm actually going to go a little deeper. I'm going to ask them another question. I'm going to ask them another follow-up, inviting that vulnerability, then protecting what maybe what they do share. Like that's not my, I'm not trying to gather information to share then with someone else. I think we need to be careful about um, gossiping and rumors and those kinds of things where um, when someone does decide to be vulnerable, we need to make sure we protect that vulnerability. Um, but I think yeah, an, an, an honesty in the conversations um, is really a huge part because then I know if I see that person again, I'll be like, hey, last time you told me you were fine and you weren't. So let's, we can cut out some of that small talk and let's, let's, let's jump in. Right. And, and the truth is where we're at now, just because we can't have the large gatherings, that the large gatherings aren't conducive for those deep conversations anyhow, because you're in a crowd and most people aren't going to go, oh yeah, here we are. There's, you know, 75 to hundred people around me. I'm going to, I'm going to get into the real deep recesses of my life we can still have those conversations even in the midst of quarantine yeah sure um i, I think i just the thing is uh being content I, I i think we we talked about this i think at the start it's being so wrapped up in identity and so i think maybe part of that maturity um is so i was thinking of this what I was thinking, like, how do I, how do I be invested in that community, but then also be content and not fall into this comparison game? Um, initially, I was thinking, okay, then that's each person's responsibility to for for their identity to be so rooted in Christ that even it rubbing shoulders with people who are at different stages of their life or different different places in their life, um, that that they're able to be content. Maybe that's part of uh, those who are more mature in their faith to kind of make sure that the, and maybe this is even pushing back against what you were saying more on the social media thing. Not, I, I think that you're right, but this may sound different. Um, as maybe someone who is more mature, like do I maybe have more of a responsibility to make sure that like my identity is not so wrapped up in, in my, my situation or my things that I have, or even my, you know, my, longer relationship with Christ that I have. Um, I think I'm just rambling on here, <laughs> but I'm trying to think through like an improvisation uh, an improver conversation. What's the, the Michael <laughs> <That's>, Scott <laughs> sometimes I mean, a sentence and I have no idea where I'm going with this. I, I really don't as I'm going through this. Um, yeah. I, okay. I, <laughs> hang on, hang on. I'm just trying to make sure I'm here. So like you're saying that as the poster that you maybe have a little bit of responsibility in like, what you're posting or how you are um like how you're choosing to share sure. yeah yeah i think so and and i and i want this to be like outside of social media because social media is, is its own silly thing um but but yes for instance so uh let's just i mean let's just take it to a very materialistic thing you know i maybe i've got a uh, i've got a lot of money and i've got a really big house uh, there are things there are ways that i i, I don't by the way um I, I'm stuck in a bedroom with a million beds and um, compared to some <laughs> compared to some let's, let, let's 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 realize that you know we're still in the top one percent oh, absolutely, absolutely yeah, yes. yeah let, 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 let's drag some comparison into this yes, yeah. absolutely <laughs> 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 but let's just say so 
if my identity is wrapped up in my giant house and like that's you know and I'm that's what it's all about that's going to lead someone maybe to to be less content with where they're at if they're not to that point because I've chosen to does that make sense at all? <laughs> right. Like where I'm so happy because of my house. My house is what like, yes, I absolutely, I think yeah. that there is a, a way that, um, yeah, we can use it almost in that form where we are saying that we are happy because of what we have, because of right. our kids, because of our, and um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm thinking now, I'm like, man, I probably need to be maybe a little more conscious of that as I share because. I know that I'm extremely privileged in things that I have or things that I, in my life. And yeah, I don't want to share them in a way that would make someone feel like I can only be as happy as I am because of those things. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a lot of responsibility on, on us uh, both ways, <laughs> like, right. Mm -hmm. Being content ourselves and also not modeling something, something that is contrary to this. Yeah. Wow. No, that's not where I, I wasn't intending to go that direction <laughs> based on your community thing, but just thoughts that we had. Um, I think so just kind of uh, going back to maybe practical and, and keys to allowing us to do this. Um, this there's four words in, in verse five that uh, that stuck out to me yesterday as I was kind of going through this that I've never really paid attention to. And that's after he says, let your gentleness be evident to, evident to all. Paul says, the Lord is near. Um, and, and again, I've, I've just kind of glossed over that before, but I think that maybe uh, there's a key in that phrase to being able to be what we're talking about here, to be content. Um, if, if we have this understanding that no matter what situation we're in, whether we're in prison uh, or whether we have plenty or whether we're in want and we're, we're in need and we, we don't have enough, uh, regardless of where that is, if we can kind of grasp onto this understanding that the Lord is near. And, and if we take other writings from Paul, Paul tells us that there is nothing that, that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing that can separate us from that nearness. And so if we can somehow cling to that truth that no matter our situation, that God is near us, um, then I think that maybe that that may be a starting place. Um, and and his, his nearness is not connected or is not related to our circumstances. And so, you know, Paul, Paul and Paul modeled this. Paul, uh, Paul and Silas are in prison and they're singing hymns. You know, it's it's not how they thought that revival service would go. And yet, you know, they're still because God is still near. And and that's that's easier said than done. You know, we're sitting here as pastors where our vocation is Jesus. Uh, you know, that's, that's what we do, you know, day in, day out. You know, we go to church and work and work with other Christians. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit different for us to say that at times. I think it's, you know, oh, we just focus on Christ. But when you, we don't have bosses, well, I hope you guys don't have bosses breathing down your necks and cussing <laughs> at you and stuff. And so, so sometimes, you know, it's, it's easier said than done. But this idea of the Lord being near is something that we need to realize is, is true, whether circumstances are good or bad. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes it's easy. Like you, you feel like you're speaking that in encouragement. You're telling someone, Oh, you're not alone. And like, it, 
it would it kills me to think that that ever comes off as a quip or just as a um oh don't worry like he's like because i mean i legit like i believe that like you you in your loneliest situation like you are never truly alone and i think that that's something that um is just so important to hold on to. I mean, I have I have a friend that grew up not in in a church, not a family, not go to church. And I mean, she was six or seven years old, and one night just so lonely. I mean, just and she just decided to say, "Okay, God, if you're there, like just just let me know." And she's like, and, and he did. I mean, like she's like, I can't even describe the the knowledge of his presence there with me, even though I was completely isolated, completely alone. And so I just think when we think about, yeah, the Lord is near, like there's, there's nothing that happens in our life that he doesn't see, he doesn't know, and he doesn't care. Like so he is always there um, with us. That's good. And I think that all of this, <laughs> having discussed all of this, puts Philippians 4.13 in a completely different light. Oh, yeah. right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is not some encouragement to be able to lift more weights or mm -hmm. to be a better athlete um, or to open the pickle jar <laughs> um, from Sunday morning. Um, it's, it's exactly this, what we're talking about. Like it is the kind of the encouragement of how do we do this? How do we be content? How do we live in community? How do we, how do we rejoice in all circumstances? If not through Christ, then we can't <laughs> right. um, because it's just so counter everything. Um, and so can do this through Christ who gives me strength, through him who gives me strength. It's good. You know, it's uh, probably about time winding down. We're about 33 minutes in. I, and I'm kind of curious when we're talking about contentment. Um, with, with you guys, you know, it's a whole nother animal dealing with adults. <laughs> but, that, you know, how, how do I train adults to be content when their whole life they've been trained to be discontent? <laughs> you, you know, what, what would you say to parents um, of kids? What, what are some things that you think would be helpful for them to, um, to help their kids find contentment regardless of circumstances? Well, man, I feel like parents probably always feel like I'm putting all the, all the weight on them, but realistically your kids um, learn more from watching you than they ever learn from listening to you. And the phrase that sticks out to me in this is that it says, I have learned to be content. So it is not a, I woke up one day and suddenly I found myself content. I wasn't born content, but like I have learned this. And so I'm thinking, okay, the kind of the, the logic side of me goes, if it can be learned, it can also be taught um, because I kind of think there's a, uh, a connection there. And so if we as parents have not learned contentment, it's going to be difficult for us to teach it. Um, but if we share with our kids how we are learning contentment, they're going to be learning right alongside us. So, I mean, but there are times that it, it's, a, it's a reminder. It's a, I can't tell you how many times a day I use the word contentment or <laughs> you're not really being content with what you have. Um, just reminding them that that constant grasping, striving for more isn't because they really need something else or something different. It is, it is a heart issue. It is, it is a, a evidence of, of a discontentment and that really um, 
Jesus is the only one that, that really fills that. And so as we lean into looking for why we're looking at things to make us content, what's going on inside us that is causing that discontentment or allowing that to fester. But again, I'm like, oh, parents, I feel like it really, it does. It starts with how we model that for our kids. And so, Mara, you're so sweet and nice. I'll <laughs> say this in a less sweet manner. Uh, if you're not content as a parent, you'll probably raise kids that aren't content. That, 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 that is learned behavior, that, that the home is meant to be a learning ground. And so if we are discontent as adults, more than likely our kids will be discontent as children and teens and then when they move into their adult life. And so, you know, that, that this is a, um, you know, the Bible talks about uh, generational sins, <laughs> you know, that sins are revisited next generation, next generation. That's because sometimes it's learned behavior. And I think you see in this passage, Paul's talking about learned behavior. We can learn to be content. Yeah. Yeah. The other thought I had, sorry, just popped in my head, is we talked a little bit about drive and achievement and things. And I think sometimes as parents, we can push our children in a, in a less than healthy way in that drive and achievement where they do something and we, our response is, that's great. It would have been great if, and, and um, in those words, I will just say, even from my experience, like those words are so quickly and deeply internalized that it, this is good, but it would have been great if. And so it's like, we, we almost rob our kids of that chance to be content because we tell them what would have made it better. And so our contentment was tied up in their achievement. And I think that that's a really, um, that was just one of the last thing that popped into my head that I'm like, man, that is a really rough, um, Thing to to grow out of yeah yeah spitzer he had his high school years and i'll brag on him his high school years is, is well over 4-0 and in his his freshman year um at the stem school killed his gpa i mean his gpa was like 3-0 there but it's it killed him other than that he had been a valedictorian at the, at the school you know and so you know he's coming home and with a you know a 5-0 gpa his senior year or somewhere in that range which is crazy to me i don't understand that but whatever and and, and we're going well what could you do <laughs> and he's like what do you want from me and, and but i mean i think that's kind of you know that's the good thing and the bad thing about parents we always want to see our kids do better than us and, and, uh, and sometimes that can lead to discontentment. So big parent fell here. I am sometimes <laughs> your pastor fails as a parent. Sometimes I do good. Sometimes I stink. I just don't post them on Instagram. Oh, I, I fail as a parent minute by minute sometimes. So good company. Sorry, Josh, go ahead. Yeah, that's okay. Your, your final thought actually kind of stole my thunder. Oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> because I, I do, I am. I am afraid, and, and when I you know I say this, I'm certainly guilty of it too. Um, do we have discontentment f with or for our? I don't know how you would say that for our kids. Mm -hmm. Are we discontent with maybe where they're at with the like? And so does that kind of breed more discontentment with them? And so I think that that plays out in this pushing so hard to mm -hmm. uh, to excel in every thing that they do um, to to get that higher test score to uh, score those extra points or to you know trim those extra seconds off their mile times and and uh, because we're we're not we haven't learned to be content with maybe who our kids are um, 
I really want Jensen or at least one of my boys to be a really good baseball player because I love baseball. <laughs> and uh, right now, none of them <laughs> have shown any interest in baseball. And so this is just, that's just a silly example, but I've, I'm, I'm learning to kind of be content with them. Not, they're not going to be playing professional baseball. Um, I may not even have, may not even be playing catch with them in the backyard. Um, so, so I'm learning to be content with that. And so I, I, I guess that would be my encouragement. What does it look like to be, to be content, even in your relationships and who your kids are, your teens are, um, and not kind of placing on them the expectations that, that you dreamed of when you thought of having kids, um, and, and, and you wanted, and even putting on your kids, what, you hoped for yourself, but you never actually did. Um, man, okay. the discontentment that can be bred from from that is, I think, uh, tremendous. I think of the scripture. The scripture that popped into my mind when you were saying that is, uh, Proverbs says, "Train up a child in the way he or she should go." Too often we train up a child in a way we wanted to go, <laughs> and, and so I, I think there's there's some understanding of that scripture that you need to know your kids and see their gifts and see how God has particularly and specifically made them, and help them find their path, not your path, <laughs> uh, and and that's 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 hard to do. That's hard to do. Yeah. No, and I think it also comes down to helping them find their their motive for achievement. Their mo and and maybe that's the tough question: is what is our motive for their achievement? Um, because like obviously, like yeah, who doesn't want their kids to do their best? But their best might not be my idea of the best. Right. And no, be, knowing to be okay with that and realizing, like I I often tell my kids, like the verse about like working for for the Lord and not for men. Like their job is not to make me happy. Their job is not to achieve so that I achieve vicariously through them, but that I do want them to work to their, their God-given potential. And that's right. going to look different for each of them. But um, I feel like I just really want to be very mindful of that. And I'm still growing in that. I'm, I'm a young parent. I mean, my kids are not that old, but just in when my motives are misplaced, I'm leading my kids astray. Emerson's much older than his chronological age. I, I, I think Emerson. Uh, I know, and I will say, Josh, Emerson just now is starting to throw the ball with Ryan. He, that's not been an interest in him, like, but they are there to the point now where they'll go in the backyard and throw. So it might not be this was, MLB, but. This was my year. I got, them, I got them to watch Sandlot with me. And so Jensen oh. was a little bit interested. And so we signed up for, for spring baseball. And then COVID-19 happened and the season got canceled. And so my one shot. How, how old is Jensen? What grade? Uh, he, he just finished kindergarten. So he'll be seven in July. So, so I took Wyatt to play T-ball. And, uh, and so they gave me his jersey and they sitting in the field. And here, here's a parent fell. I guess it's a fell. But they were wrestling for the ball. So every time the ball was hit, they were like wrestling. I at, literally took him screaming, kicking and screaming from the field and put him in the car and said, you're not ready. <laughs> and so that was probably a fell. Uh, but, but, you know, the next year he was ready. And so, you know, it, it takes some time. It takes some time. Trust me, it, it'll get there. Well, I think it's been a good conversation. And anything you guys want to add before we, we close? And I'll, I'll close this in prayer today. You guys content with this podcast? I'm content.
<laughs> uh, I think we need to have a good joke uh, for our podcast to, to lead it off. So, Josh, ne- next next week, can can you have a, a joke ready for us yeah, so that, that, that people? Jokes, yeah, we'll do a joke. Maybe, so, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your presence. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for the peace that only you can give. We're thankful, Lord, that we can uh, achieve this peace and this contentment, not through our power, but through our trust in you. Uh, we, we do believe, Lord, that there's learned behavior here and there's taught behavior here. So we pray that we'll be models of contentment, we'll be models of your peace, and that your spirit will move through our families, through our church, and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I think that's all we got. See you, folks.